All right, and we're back. Look, guys, we made it. We made it to round two. We actually have a second episode. That's really cool. We didn't just crash and burn after the first one. That would have that would have been really disappointing. I would have been really upset with that because, like, this is something really cool to do. Anyways, we're the Bad Movie Journalists. I am Christian, and this is my co-host over here. Hello, I am Connor. Welcome back. Uh, we may have crash and burned from the first one, but that's not going to stop us either way. So you're stuck with us until until we get exhausted of this. Absolutely. Whether that is tomorrow or in 15 years from now, when the podcast medium becomes Netflix too. Either way, whenever the next thing happens, we're here until then. We will be talking about bad movies in your ears until we don't want to anymore, essentially, through various forms of media. Um, but on that note, we would like to introduce today that we will be talking about uh, the Star Wars sequel trilogy, the last three movies that came out under the Disney umbrella. We're doing this off the back of Star Wars Day. Christian, may the 4th be with you, or in this case, may the 12th be with you. May the 12th be with you as well, Connor. Or, you know, maybe maybe an uh, unannounced date if we don't want to air how we film these. Uh, but either way, to set the stage, um, I'm a huge Star Wars fan. I've consumed about as much content as humanly possible in terms of Star Wars movies, shows, comics, graphic novels, video games. If you name it, I've probably taken it in. It's my second favorite media franchise behind Harry Potter. Um, I even personally enjoyed the movie prequels, if you're willing to look past the fact that Hayden Christensen and Natalie Portman mesh about as well as Anakin, Skywalker, and Sand, which is a very nerdy joke, but you know what you signed up for when you saw the title. Um, it's been a very important my a part of my life. I'm pretty unashamed about how much of a nerd I am. And I know, Christian, this was kind of like a major point when me and you started to get to know each other, that I know you feel a pretty similar way. Yeah, for sure. I pretty much grew up on Star Wars, you know, classically. When you hear about someone, oh, Star Wars has been around in my family generations forever. You know, my grandparents watched Star Wars and loved it. My parents watch Star Wars growing up, my entire family, everyone goes sees the movies, so it's always been in my life, and like you, I've played the video games, I've seen the TV shows, I've seen the shorts, I even went to the theaters to see the animated Clone Wars film that kicked off the animated series, which was much better than the film, but I was there for all of that, so good and bad I've been there, and also like you, I, I enjoy the prequels, they're definitely not perfect, but if anyone ever asks me if they, if they want to sit down and watch Revenge of the Sith, I'm going to say yes 100% of the time. So these movies all mean a lot to me. Yes, Revenge of the Sith is a great movie. Um, unlike the Fast and Furious I know you've pointed out here, um, which we talked about last week, the franchise is actually overall excellent, and I don't think that's a debatable point by anyone. It pretty much changed the way we consume movies and media um, throughout its existence. Uh, but with that said, there are some mixed feelings on the uh, last three, the Disney sequel series that happened. Um, so I just kind of want to run through them real quick and we can kind of discuss as we go here. So um, it started with The Force Awakens, which was pretty universally well-received by critics and fans. Um, it premiered in 2015. It was directed by good old J.J. Abrams, uh, globally boxed about $2.06 billion, which is the fourth highest box ever, not inflated for it. Uh, in, not adjusted for inflation. Um, it's basically a shot-for-shot shot remake of A New Hope, um, but it was a nice reintroduction to the galaxy, a good introduction to the new characters. JJ did pretty well. Um, did you have any like you know, overall thoughts on The Force Awakens? So this, you know, five years uh, removed from it? 
Yeah, I really like The Force Awakens. It's not my favorite Star Wars movie out of the bunch, but like you said, it did what it needed to do. It came in, it reintroduced us to Star Wars, it introduced a new generation of Star Wars too, which is always cool, getting to see younger siblings or children now even experiencing these movies for the first time. Um, but pretty much resealing existing fans that Star Wars can still be good because despite I like the tr- the prequel trilogy and you like the prequel trilogy, they're not exactly loved by everyone the way the, trilogy, the original trilogy is. So J.J. Abrams had a really hard thing to do coming fresh into the series, which with a very divisive history of both good and bad things now when it's passed, and he did a great job. I think everyone overall kind of likes that movie. And yeah, it's a little paint by numbers in some spots, but like it doesn't need to be anything great. You know, it's a fun movie that you put it on anytime and I'll sit down and watch Force Wiggins for sure. Yeah. And it introduced a lot of like the new characters who they thought would be iconic. Um, and some became iconic and some didn't in the way that they intended. Um, so the second movie that comes out, they hand off to make an interesting decision. They hand it off to Ryan Johnson, um, who, in my opinion, a very good director. Um, so he does The Last Jedi. The Last Jedi actually critically performs the best out of all of these movies. Um, so it gets a Rotten Tomatoes score of 91, which is slightly lower than The Force Awakens 93, but it gets an 85 on Metacritic. If you guys don't know what Metacritic is, it's basically an aggregator of uh, official scores throughout the internet from various media outlets. So it scored an 85 on that where the force awakens scored an 80. So overall it was much more well-received by critics um, than the force awakens was, but it was universally panned by pretty much all of the hardcore star Wars uh, fanship. Um, so I think that's kind of where we have to start our conversation here because I think me and you were on the same page when it comes to The Last Jedi. I was a huge fan of the film. I think Ryan Johnson did a ton of positive things for the franchise. What's great about the first Star Wars trilogy, the original um, trilogy, episodes four, five, and six, is that it has that improv yes and mentality. If you watch the first one now, you can see a lot of the stuff that happened in three wasn't planned. But George Lucas extended so many new storytelling branches that were so promising and he branched off into so many new things as they were going. The overall takeaway I have from the movies um, in the Star Wars universe is that the force is for everyone. It's not defined by the Skywalkers. That was the whole point of a lot of The Last Jedi was that it was going to allow the Star Wars franchise to branch off. Now, it had some ridiculous moments. Sure, it looked ridiculous when Leia Superman through space. 100% it did. But it was also awesome to see her with her first real display of force powers. I was kind of fascinated to see where a lot of uh, stuff that Ryan Johnson started in that film was going. Um, but a very large vocal group of fans had their way on the internet. Uh, Christian, what were your thoughts generally on The Last Jedi? So, yeah, I feel very similar to you. Um, I usually say that The Last Jedi is my second favorite of all the films, second only to Empire Strikes Back because have you know it's the obvious choice i mean the empire strikes back is a flawless movie in my opinion um but the last jedi just it made star wars different again it was bold it was exciting we just had a movie that was great for reintroducing us to these characters but was ultimately just very similar to what we knew before but the last jedi wasn't afraid to take choices and like you said not all of those choices looked 
great on screen. Some of them looked kind of goofy, like uh, like Leia, but some of them didn't look goofy. Some of them looked brilliant. Um, you know, you watch a few different scenes in that movie, and I don't even understand how people say it's bad, like the whole hold the maneuver scene or Luke disappearing at the end or the throne room fight scene. I think these are all some of the best shot and looking images in this film and even the franchise. So I'm really, really passionate about this movie and it's definitely a subject that anytime anyone brings up anywhere, I pretty much end up arguing in defense of this film. Um, But yeah, I'm, I'm a really, really big fan of it. It's exactly where I wanted star Wars to go following the force awakens. So I'm happy this movie exists, but um, you know, of course things change. (laughs) Yeah, and, you know, I think what's interesting that I want to touch on real fast is this has kind of resurfaced over the last uh, week or two since um, the May the 4th day and uh, the Rise of Skywalker being added to Disney+. Plus. Um, a lot of people have come back and kind of been talking about this movie compared to The Last Jedi again. Um, and including a lot of part of it was that Mark Hamill had a lot of criticisms about how the Luke character was portrayed and kind of his attitude towards everything. But I think that's kind of like what makes that movie so great, actually, is that they took a character who was kind of like, uh, I, I don't know what the, the human term for a deus ex machina is, but Luke is kind of like just like the holy one, essentially, in the first trilogy. Um, he can kind of almost do no wrong, regardless of whether or not he's doing wrong. And then they kind of make him human, essentially. You get to see him, like, struggle with a lot of stuff. And it's it's really, you know, captivating to watch that character go through all that after you've been with, after you've been through all of this stuff with him. Um, so I thought it was interesting that Mark kind of had that take on it, um, especially since he's very positive about pretty much everything in the Star Wars universe. Um, had you gotten a chance to, like, see any of that? I haven't, um, but from... The general vibe I've gotten, especially the way, and, you know, we're going to eventually get into this later, but that Mark Hamill probably wasn't the biggest fan of The Last Jedi or that direction of Luke, and a lot of people weren't. One of the main complaints I hear about The Last Jedi is that they don't like how Luke was handled because he was this old man who gets there and throws this lightsaber off the cliff, and then he dies at the end, and what I find so funny about all of this is that the movie is kind of doing a commentary on that exact expectation. I mean, Luke says it himself in the movie. I'm not, this isn't the exact quote, but he tells Ray something along the lines of, what do you think I'm going to do? Show up and take on the entire first order just with my uh, laser sword. You know, it's, is that what fans wanted? Just this ultimate badass dude just ripping through everyone because like that's what a lot of fans wanted but that's not what i wanted out of this i like this luke i like this luke who has learned he has grown he has regrets he's learned that not everything is going to be so easy that sometimes bad stuff still happens even though you do your best to make it right uh and he's an older he's a mature he's a wiser but he still feels like Luke Skywalker to me which is important through all of that um and my favorite thing about Luke's character in the movie is that by the end of the film he becomes that legend he becomes that idea that yes he is the one dude taking on the first order by himself with a laser sword and i think that is like so beautiful about this movie is 
letting this character who we've idolized for so long actually get the chance to become that legend. I can't think of anything more beautiful and more of a love letter to fans. And it blows my mind that people read that as attacking them or trolling on their franchise. When to me, that's the best honor you can do is you guys wanted to see Luke take on an entire army to show that he is truly the best force out here. Well, here you go. You got it. And people hated it. <laughs> no, people absolutely hated it. And what's weird to think about too is like, think about how Yoda is perceived after the first three, right? Like Yoda is kind of like a broken down old man or whatever he is, little green thing, um, full of regret. He's training Luke basically like this way to save the force and kind of redeem the sins we end up finding out about um, from the first three movies, the prequels that come later. Um, and it's kind of very a similar, you know, it's not the exact same, but it's a very similar Luke to arc, a uh, similar arc to Luke's in this movie where he's got to kind of, make up for his mistakes and train the next generation to come along and be the ones who kind of save the universe. And that was so well received in the first trilogy. And I actually thought it was almost done better. Like if you look up star Wars online on Wikipedia, it's defined as a space opera. That's what this is supposed to be is theater. And what Luke's character is, is a classic theater character of they're wrestling your demons and overcoming your past to ultimately become you know, what everyone expects of you and to play the hero at the end. So I was kind of shocked that, you know, that resurfaced recently. Um, but enough talking about the good movie, Christian. We are the bad movie journalists. So we must talk about the most recent movie, The Rise of Skywalker. So The Rise of Skywalker comes out in 2019 on the back of all of this criticism from The Last Jedi. All of this hashtag not my Star Wars campaigning done on Twitter. And they bring back J.J. Abrams um, to direct. So this movie does not perform well. It does a global box of only $1.07 billion, which is actually lower than The Last Jedi. Uh, Rotten Tomatoes gives it a 52%. Metacritic gives it a 54 out of 100. So it's pretty universally panned uh, by critics and by the whole However, a large portion of the Star Wars community absolutely loved this movie. So I think it's worth kind of looking into why people criticized and then ultimately why a large amount of people loved this film. And, you know, in the end, I think we're going to wrap back around to, even though we might not personally think this is a great movie, um, why we think it's at least worth watching and consuming. Um, but before we kind of get into our segments here, do you kind of want to give your overall thoughts about this movie? I do, and I want to preface all of this with spoilers for the eight people on planet Earth that haven't seen the last of the Star Wars films yet, um, just so that's out there. Anyways, I personally do not like this movie a lot. I really don't like this movie, to be honest with you, but that's why I wanted to talk about it and try to pick out good out of it, because ultimately we are official trademark patent pending certified bad movie journalists and our job is to explain why this movie is good despite how I feel about it so it's kind of like a little bit of an exercise in exploring your own mental space but that being said I do not like this movie I don't think it's a good movie I don't think it's a well-made movie I think very little yeah about it. I've given it 
I've given it multiple chances, and every time it's been very, very tough for me to find more enjoyable. Yeah, we disagree slightly on this. I don't personally love the movie, but I don't think about it as uh, negatively as you do. But I don't think it's a good movie. Um, I don't think I watched this movie and come away from it feeling great um, like I do a lot of movies. So the first thing we've entitled here, because we are the bad movie journalists, we must recognize this is a bad movie, is a segment that we're going to call The Bin, which is why this film is garbage. Um, and to start us off, this film is fan pandering at its absolute worst. So Disney obviously panicked after seeing the reception to the to the last Jedi. It backtracked a lot of the quote unquote controversial plots that the last Jedi started that fans were mad about. It added a lot of stuff to get cheap pops from the audience is literally as safe as Disney could play it. They didn't want to take the chance of following through on Johnson's vision. So they let Abrams come back a man famously bad at endings. I'm looking at you lost simply because he did a good job with the force awakens, which like we've talked about is basically just a, you know, paint by brush remake of one of the most iconic star Wars films ever. And then in my opinion, he tried to shove two movie plots into one movie while retconning everything that the last Jedi did. The first half of this movie, I remember watching it in theaters and it was going at a break breakneck pace. Like it was just flying through a lot of plots. Like they blow up something, you know, spoiler alert, obviously, but they blow up a ship that Chewbacca is supposed to be on. And basically they leave the planet about 35 seconds later. Like they don't even give that moment really time to breathe. Things are just glossed over. They're not explained left and right. It's a jumbled mess um, that tries basically only to appease those hashtag not my Star Wars people on Twitter. Characters like Rose and Finn got really marginalized, even though they were great characters in The Last Jedi. And also, how do you cast Carrie Russell and just not even once let us bask in her beauty? Yeah, absolutely. I think it's completely ridiculous. Um, for me, my biggest problem with this film is that the plot doesn't make any sense if there even is a plot at all. This is a little bit of a tangent, but one of my favorite podcasts from a few years ago is called The Worst Idea of All Time, and I highly recommend anyone and everyone check this out because it is absolutely hysterical. But these two men, they had, I don't know if brilliant is the right word, but they had the idea to watch the Adam Sandler film Grown Ups 2 every single week for one year. Yeah, that's right. Watch Grown Ups 2 I thought times. that I thought that's followed. protected against ahead, in the Geneva Convention. That seems like cruel and unusual torture to me. <laughs> oh no, it, it it completely is, and that's what I think is so funny about the show is that you gradually hear these guys just hate the movie more and more. <laughs> I definitely recommend you check it out because they start out, you know, probably the first five or six watches, they're into it and they're like, you know, this isn't that bad. This is, we can do this. This is going to be no problem. And then by the 20th watch, they're just burned out. They, they have to do a segment called The Shining Light every week where they pick out a, their favorite thing in their movie. And they become so, so mundane. They say things like, yeah, I really like Shaq's shirt this time watching the movie just because there's just nothing good to pick out anymore. Anyways, one of their main critiques about Grown Ups 2 was that the film has no plot. It's a sequence of events. Things just happen. 
A happens, so B happens, so C happens. So it doesn't really have a plot. It's just a sequence of events. And I think The Rise of Skywalker suffers from that same problem where anytime I try to describe the plot or try this with your friends, try this with anyone, ask them what the plot of this movie is. They'll just start to list out the events that happen in this movie. Well, it turns out the Emperor's back, so now Rey has to go find this thing, which will tell her where the Wayfinder is. But in order to do that, now she's got to go do this thing. That way she can go here to find out the, where the Wayfinder is and then go to find the Emperor. Um, but that's not a plot. That's just events. You're describing a storyboard of things that happen, which is not a story. It's just like if I told you about my day, how I woke up and went to work and had lunch. That's, that's what this movie's doing. And I don't like that way of storytelling, even though I know what happens in this movie. I've seen it, you know, enough times now to understand what the events are. Every time this movie starts, I'm completely sidelined immediately. As soon as Kylo Ren storms on screen and then he's getting in his ship, speeding to the Emperor, we're five minutes in the movie and I already feel whiplash from my head being thrown back in the seat so hard. Yeah, I mean, it's... It's something, the plot of this movie. Um, I don't want to spend too much longer on what's bad because we ultimately are defenders of mediocrity, so we do want to get to what's good. But I do think one of the problems with The Rise of Skywalker is that the what, what semblance of a plot they did try to construct is basically not a plot that was brought up before. Um, so, you know, this is uh, going to be, again, another spoiler alert. If you're listening to this podcast and you haven't seen uh, any of these movies, I'm surprised you're still with us. But, you know, spoilers ahead, um, you know, Palpatine's back. But we found out Palpatine was back on a side note uh, in Fortnite, by the way. So you just show up to the movie and I didn't know any of this at that point. I just knew that they had casted uh, the great Ian McDermott as coming back in this movie. Uh, I thought it'd be a flashback or something. And then, in you know, the crawl happens and it says the dead Liz Palpatine is back. And I was like, when did that happen? Um, and then, you know, at the end, Ray ends up being a Palpatine, ends up being his granddaughter, when the whole part of the second movie was that she was no one and that she didn't have to be anyone because the force is a universal thing. So even the, the plot that they do try to establish is just gibberish because it contradicts so much of what actually happened before it that it's, you know, it's kind of made itself a moot point. Um you know, I, I just don't think that I don't think that changing a lot of the movie or bringing JJ back for, you know, fan reaction and just to get these cheap pops was the best thing to do in terms of like continuity. And I think it really, really showed when you watch this movie, even once through, but especially twice and three times through. I completely agree. I think that it it actually really baffles me because. Disney has met such success with having a perfect roadmap for the MCU. And of course that's thanks to Kevin Feige for being so good at what he does, but they knew exactly where they wanted to end up. So they started at point A and they ended at point Z. They did it exactly the way they wanted to. As far as we know, we don't know what happened behind the scenes, but with star Wars, it seems like they didn't do that at all. They had one guy come in, direct the movie had another guy come in direct a completely different movie and then they were supposed to have a third different guy colin trevorrow mind you who has made some very interesting films notably jurassic world and the book of henry which i have not seen but i have heard is 
a very fun time to watch, but it they never had a plan. They just had three, from what they know, competent directors who are hot and rising right now in the industry, and they just said, you know what, let's do it. Let's hire these three, and whatever they make, they make. And Disney was freaked out, A, because of The Last Jedi and its divisive reaction, and B, because Solo, they had uh, the guys from the Lego movie come in, direct that film, or Phil and Lord start directing the movie, and they hated whatever it was they made. I personally would have loved to have seen that movie. I'm still happy with the movie that we got out of Ron Howard, but I was curious of that, and I think Disney got scared, and Disney didn't want to take chances anymore on this beloved franchise because they thought fans would get mad, and that's how we end up with a movie like this. Is It's really safe. It's kind of pandery, and it's just not that interesting. Um, this this is the last thing before we kind of go into why this movie is actually good after ribbing on it for 20 minutes. But I feel like it just – if you need to go and look at other content elsewhere to explain things that are happening in your movie, you have not done the job of a filmmaker. And I'm not a filmmaker, so I'm saying this off of – my very, very high horse, of course, but I genuinely feel like if you have to go and explain something, well, this is actually what happened. What you're seeing in the movie, here's a little tweet that explains what this is going on. That should have been in your movie. That should have been said on screen. I shouldn't be looking to your Twitter page to find out this really important detail about like a main character, and this is just an example, but that's kind of how I felt about this movie is Oh, great. So the Palpatine we get is actually a clone. That's cool. I'm I'm fine with that. But where I have to find that out is a comic book. I'm okay doing that because I'm the type of person to read a comic book about Star Wars, but my mom isn't. So she's watching this movie saying, how the hell is Palpatine yeah. back? You know? And those yeah, no, you're 100% right. That is going to lead us into something I want to talk about a little later on. Um, so I am going to move us into a section that I have just now titled the beauty and that's what's good about the film um so first off this movie is and this is not an intended but but it is beautiful um it's visually what you want a disney-backed franchise to look like with all of their resources um, and everything like that the action is very very good especially the fight between ray and kylo in the ocean and when kylo fights the knights of ren in particular after he's turned back into ben solo uh, really really captivating action scenes um the Knights of Ren are something I want to talk about more at length, maybe not on this podcast, because boy, do I want to talk about them. I could go on for hours about this. Um, and the fight scene with Poe, too. We will have a dedicated episode per Knights <laughs> of Ren member. Uh, every single one will No, I'm into that. I also want to do a two-hour binge mode uh, binge style podcast about every episode, every comic uh, episode of the Knights of Ren, um, you know, the rise of Kylo Ren. I'm into oh, that as well. Um, but the last thing I wanted to point out in terms of like this movie, the fight scene with Poe at the end uh, before, you know, everyone starts dying um, due to the final order. I think he dubbed it. Um, but the fight scene with Poe is actually very, very cool. Um, a lot of about Poe is very cool in this movie, but that fight scene at the end um, where he's in the pilot, he's trying to fight off all those ships at once and take down all those destroyers is a lot of fun. Kylo Freak is the best character in Star Wars as of now. Um, there's been one glowing joy every time I see this movie, and it is 
Babu Frick. I think he is so cute. Every time he appears on screen, <laughs> he's just he's the gang, and he's like, "Hey, what's up? I'm so glad." <laughs> like, who is this little man? Um, the character is baffling. He seems like he is stoned the entire time he's on screen, and I would hang out with Babu. Babu Frick, Frick reminds me of a much better version of the aliens from the first men in black. Like he kind of reminds me of that, but in a much more adorable way. Um, And, you know, they obviously stumbled into gold with baby Yoda. um, But I don't know why when they introduced characters like Porgs, just to sell stuff, why we didn't sell the crap out of Babu Frick merchandise after this movie came out. Yeah. I think that's something really important to touch on too, is definitely that nostalgia factor. I know for my parents who really loved this film, one of the main things they said about the film was that it made them feel like they were kids again, that my stepdad was watching this movie saying, I had that toy and I had that toy. And oh my God, look, this character's on screen. I never thought I would see this. So maybe for your generation, you know, like our generation, we're a little bit more cynical about it because Lando Calrissian was a character that was popular in the 80s, you know, X amount of years before I was born. So he's always just kind of been a character that was in movie, but I can't, I'm, I'm personally not yet old enough to know the feeling of seeing a character in a movie and then 40 years later seeing that same character in another movie. To me, that it must be mind-blowing. So having that nostalgia is very, very important. And if that's one of your reasons you know, for really, really enjoying this movie, it doesn't necessarily work on me, but I get it. I see why that would work on someone. I know why, I understand why that really, really appealed to people. Like you said, Carrie Fisher was tough. It was not an easy situation. It never is. There's not much you can really do about that. It's extremely unfortunate, you know, uh, bless her entire family. You know, I hope she's resting in peace, everything, but there's just not much you can really do. So JJ Abrams, he did the best he could. It doesn't work perfectly, but he gave it a shot, and he made sure it was respectful. It used the character. She wasn't in eight seconds of the film. She was actually a force, and it feels like a very nice send-off to her. Uh, and all that stuff I got to applaud. Yeah, I definitely think that, you know, and what's unique about the Carrie Fisher stuff, too, is that uh, obviously all of that, if you don't know, was filmed for the other movie, and they kind of cut it out and repurposed it for this one after her passing. So... I mean, just to get it to fit into the movie at all is kind of a masterpiece. Um, so I definitely think that, you know, that was something I received very well. Um, but one thing on a slightly, um, you know, less serious note, just slightly, Kristen, I do want you to give the audience at large your opinions on the great Babu Frick. Yeah, I completely agree with you. I think this movie is really pretty. There's a few shots in particular, I think, are really pleasant to look at. I'm not sure what the exact planet is, but... In the beginning of the movie, when Poe and Finn and that slug guy who was there on the Millennium Falcon, who I, I need a backstory on that guy. But between the three of them, they're light, ski, light speed skipping, and they stop at that very large crystalline, kind of a planet, but kind of just looks like an installation within a giant crystal cave. I thought that looked really cool. I thought the imagery of the Star Destroyers lined up perfectly in space was very very cool um so it was a really pretty movie to look at the effects of course were there the budget of course for this movie was there nothing feels fake 
nothing feels cheap. Everything feels like they really put their money. It's definitely a very visually pleasing film. Yeah, and I think um, in terms of like the nostalgia factor too, which is what a lot of Star Wars fans liked about this movie, this movie does have a lot of nostalgia appeal. Um, it does that pro wrestling thing very well where it kind of brings back old faces and old moments right at the right time to kind of get the crowd pumped up. The Carrie Fisher stuff, um, you know, was a little clunky and forced, but it was nice to give her a goodbye. That was really fitting of her character. Um, you know, obviously rest in peace to Carrie Fisher. Seeing Lando come back in a pivotal way is fun on the back of like Donald Glover giving that character some some real roots more than I was expecting, honestly. And Solo, Harrison Ford making a kind of a shocking return was a moment. Um, I mean, I was taken back when I saw him. It definitely popped me a little bit. Harrison Ford kind of hates Star Wars secretly or not so secretly. Um, so I was surprised he came back after after they killed him off. Um Arguably, this is a lot of stuff they should have done in the first movie, but I do see why parts of this movie appealed to fans, you know, the longtime fans in a strong way, especially that folk that didn't like The Last Jedi. His, uh, his heyday is still coming, I think. We're, we're going to get it. We're going to get some Babu Frick expanded, expanded universe content. I think we need at least, at least a Netflix series or a Disney Plus series, sorry, streaming companies. Disney Plus Babu Frick series. We need a comic book. We need a graphic novel we need a regular novel the whole nine babu frick needs to be pushed out there um but in all seriousness i mean he's the exact type of cute character that i like seeing you know he's he's cute that way you think he's cute but he serves a purpose he's involved in the plot he's not just set dressing like the porgs were so that's actually something this film does a little bit better than the last jedi is that he was actually used in the movie he's not in there which is for super long either which is kind of a problem you have with a character like Jar Jar Binks, for example, where if Jar Jar Binks was in one scene of The Phantom Menace and he was on screen for, I don't know, five minutes, he would probably pretty well received because you would think, oh, there's this silly guy. Just look at this little dumb alien who's just silly with his tongue hanging out. But when you put him in for an entire movie, that's where you have issues. That's where Babu Frick was great. He was just there. He did his business. He helped the team out. He said some really cute lines. That was it. Man's gone. Never saw him again. Yeah, I'm not going to lie to you. Jar Jar Binks, um, on a separate note, if he had just not spoken, I think he would have been much more well-received. Or if he had literally any other dialect. If if you gave Jar Jar Binks Babu, Babu Frick's dialect, he would have been the most beloved character in Star Wars history, right under Baby Yoda. Um, but... That is a conversation for a separate separate podcast, I think. So with all of this said, um, we've obviously just panned this movie for 15 to 20 minutes about. Um, so you've listened to us tell you why we don't like this movie. Now I want to tell you why this film is worth watching. Um, and first off, I want to call out that there are incredible standout performances from the actors in this movie. Um, Daisy Ridley does not get enough credit for the character of Ray, in my opinion. She is great as a conflicted Ray in this movie. Remember how you felt in the trailer when she has the hood on and flips out the two-sided lightsaber? Sure, her having those weird jagged teeth was not the best follow-up, but she also then immediately stabbed Kylo Ray about five minutes after that. She stabbed him. That was like a like take your breath away in the movie theater moment. I thought they had just killed off the main villain halfway through this movie. It was legitimately a shocking moment. 
Um, Oscar Isaac is also incredibly captivating as kind of that maturing leader taking over from Leia um, as like the commander. And then Adam Driver as Kylo Ren is just a powerhouse. Um, Look out for my side podcast, Driving Driver, where I'm going to tell you why (laughs) Adam Driver is the best actor working right now. He's the best actor working right now. I'm going to repeat that sentence. Um, he's so so good in this movie um just i can't i can't get enough of that character yeah i'm on the same page on all those performances what's so funny is that you mentioning now talking about daisy ridley's conflictedness in this in this movie and that's actually something that does work really really well in this film it actually kind of works throughout all three films is that you never really know what she's going to end up doing. We know the first time I saw this movie, and I think I'm pretty good at predicting when things are coming, but you don't ever really know which way she's going to lean, if the movie's going to surprise you. And at the last minute, she says, you know what? I'm not being either. I'm not going to be a Jedi or a Sith. I'm going to do my own thing. Or she's going to be a Jedi, or it's going to be she's going to be a Sith. You never really know. Uh, and she sells that so well. You know, she brings a physicality to Ray that's very confident but curious kind of tender but also stoic and brave uh and it's 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 a really really good performance and like you said i don't even think she's the best performance in this movie i think she's just a really good performance oscar isaac his work goes without saying oscar isaac is great in everything he does he's just a delight i was actually listening to a podcast about inside lewin davis earlier and if anyone hasn't seen that movie Highly recommend. Beautiful performance from Oscar. But um, Kylo Ren's, or Adam Driver's performance is the standout of this film. It's the standout of all three movies for me. He is so good. He does such a good job of someone grasping with making the wrong choice, knowing he's making the wrong choice, and just shoving that emotion down. He always looks conflicted. He always looks like he's disappointed in himself. He's mad at himself. And he's just taking out his rage on every decision he's ever made on the world around him. And I don't think many actors could sell that because it's multifaceted. He has to both sell being menacing and scary and kind and sympathetic at the same time. And that's hard to do from, in, from, with him, from a guy who in two movies ago killed his own dad, who was Han Solo. You know, so he does a great job. And also I want to give a really, really big shout out to Ian McDermott coming back as the Emperor. He's always been one of the best characters in any of these films. In one, two, and three, it always felt like he was having a great fun. And in this film, he's just having the time of his life. Ian McDermott looks like they could not they, they could they, they might not have even paid him for this movie. Ian McDermott could have woken up, got a text message, and sprinted full speed to the studio to be in this movie. Because he just seems like he's having the time of the lot, time of his life playing this character again, and I'm just as happy to see him on screen too. He's cackling, he's evil, he's shooting lightning everywhere, he's spewing platitudes about the dark side is better, and you know all, all this stuff that he does, and it's wonderful. It's it's so I can't tell you the excitement I had when when it came out that he got cast in this movie. And I mean, I have been saying not from a Jedi in my personal life for, you know, probably close to 15 years now. Um, He is the 
and you know to call back to our last and first podcast he is vin diesel in these movies he just is having so much fun he's chewing the fat he is overacting in the best way in every scene that he's in i love it so much he just doesn't miss a beat he walks back into this movie after being gone for however many years and however many plot lines and just walks back in and is a powerhouse immediately you don't like when he comes back on the screen you don't even care that you know it, for a moment at least you don't even care that you don't know how he got there it's just he's it's so exciting to see him back um but that does lead me to my second point and this is kind of my main point if you're a star wars fan and I hope you are, because otherwise you've listened to a little over 40 minutes of people talking about Star Wars in-depthly, and you probably have no idea what's going on. But if you are a Star Wars fan, and you go back and watch this movie now, that the extended universe has had a chance to kind of fill in some of the blanks, I think you'll enjoy the story much more. Um, the Ray is a Palpatine thing is still very forced, right? But one of the main questions that I had coming out of this movie was, where the hell did this moldy version of Palpatine come from? Well, they explain in some side content that it was a clone. And like you were saying, like that doesn't that doesn't fill in the cracks for everyone, but it does fill in the cracks for a lot of people who were upset and questioning that. I know when I saw that, I was like, all right, that's fine. Like, I get that. Clones exist a lot. It's not the most satisfying answer, but it does paper over that sort of crack that this movie had. Um, so it makes a lot more sense that he's still alive because he was a clone. And then another part of that is like the Knights of Ren feel like they come out of nowhere in this movie, right? But I've just finished reading the Rise of Kylo Ren comics, which I suggest you do also if you haven't, because they are excellent. But it gives you so much more of a deeper backstory. And then that fight between the, all of them just feels so much more satisfying. Star Wars has kind of this historical way of, as time goes on, getting this mass of content that people just accept into canon. Like think about all like the, legend stuff that's no longer canon but think about how all of that shaped what is disney is giving us now all this side content with um the clone wars doing the siege of mandalore and the whole mandalorian plot as a whole a lot of the stuff that happens in rebels you know this stuff just gets accepted into canon and just kind of papers over a lot of what could be plot holes if you don't take in all that content. And I think people who don't take in all that content just watch these movies because it's really cool to see stuff flying around. But if you're really invested in like the Star Wars, you know, lore and everything like that, I think, you know, give it like another seven months, especially since we're all locked in our houses with nothing to do. And there's going to be a lot of side content that you'll read and then go back and watch this movie. And if you can just accept that that's where they wanted to go from the first time, suspend your disbelief a little bit um, to coin another pro wrestling term. I think it feels a lot better on the back end than it did on the front end. I'll agree with you there. You know, this, this is a fun movie. You know, it's a movie that I think I've seen it three times now and, Every time I've seen it, I've been entertained for its entire runtime. Never once did I look up and think, oh, man, this is such a slog. So it's a really, really entertaining movie. It's a fun movie. It is, it, at this point, you know, it's, if you've seen the other movies, like, you should see it. This is a franchise that's been around for a long time. Um, it should be seen. You know, it's, it's important to still engage with media that you might be hesitant to engage with because you've heard mixed things because you care about the property as a whole, um, which, you know, you and I both do. Um, and what you're saying about, like, expanding universe content, it is really cool to see that explained. You know, 
I think everyone feels like we understand the original trilogy universe and the prequel trilogy universe a lot better. Well, we've had a lot more time to sit with those characters and those storylines. We've had a ton more stuff made about them. You know, I think people often forget that when the Emperor was in- introduced, he was just the Emperor. He was just Darth Sidious. We didn't even learn that he was Chancellor Palpatine until the prequels. Please don't correct me if- or please don't correct me if I'm wrong, because uh, I'm not 100% sure on that, but I'm pretty sure that's the case. The point is, is that a lot of the characters that we remember from these films weren't even really that popular at the time of their release. And that's why I think Goblin Frick will be popular one day. But no, for real. Um, other things that really work in this movie that I want to make sure we touch on are um, Ray and Kylo's story, their whole kind of like entwined fate I think it's set up really, really well in The Last Jedi, and I think this movie does a really, really good job of kind of continuing that thread. I think they both have really good chemistry. Um, I think that their fights really, really work. They're very emotionally charged. I think it reflects a lot of things in previous films, Um, notably that fight on the ruins of the Death Star. I absolutely love how the water crashing upon the pillar on which they're standing mirrors Obi-Wan and Anakin's fight, except in a much more somber tone than uh, very magnanimous lava. So I think that's really, really cool. Uh, I think that's really, really poetic. You know, George Lucas has always said that these movies are like poetry. They rhyme, you know, and I think this movie carries that tradition through. Um, Looking at the entire picture, I think it does make sense to have the emperor be the one through line because now you do have this story. And I think though it might not have been the movie that I personally wanted, I think that as a whole, introducing these movies as a whole to a new viewer, they'll have a lot much more of an easier time following this one story. Now that starts about this struggle of the Skywalkers against the emperor. And you know what? It ends as a struggle about Skywalkers against the Emperors. Yeah. And that kind of works. No, that, and that's, I think, the entire point that I kind of want to make about this Skywalker saga is that if you consume it from the way we kind of have, right, where we, you know, I'm speaking from my experience, but I think I can kind of speak from a general Star Wars fan. You saw the first, you know, four, five, and six, right? You saw the original trilogy, and then you saw the prequels. And then you saw the sequels. So it starts off as Luke's triumphant storyline, right? But then it morphs into the rise and fall of Anakin Skywalker and then his redemption. So now it's Anakin Skywalker's. And then it comes back and it's about this new generation, but the through line is Emperor Palpatine. So it's actually kind of, if you take and watch one through nine, it's kind of the rise and fall of Palpatine. And if you think about it that way, it makes a lot more canonical sense overarchingly. Now, I'm not going to say in terms of like every movie, every detail, it makes more sense. But if you think about it in terms of like this is the rise and fall and then revenge plot of Emperor Palpatine, of Sheev Palpatine himself, then it kind of ties together a little more. And that's what Star Wars has a thing of doing of like. Someone will put out a graphic novel about the time in between when Palpatine goes down that reactor hole. And then when we get reintroduced to him, we'll get a whole graphic novel series about that time. And that'll be accepted into canon. 
And then we'll have that tie line through all that time we were missing. And all of a sudden it becomes sort of a coherent plot line. And in 10 years from now, people will be rewatching these movies going, oh, we were kind of hard on this movie. It makes a lot of sense. Um, and I think that's what ultimately happens with Star Wars stuff is that we go back and we kind of fill in the blanks the way we want to. Um, but it's great to have sort of that like living sort of canon. Like it's it's a living franchise that we're constantly adding to and able to morph um, and I think that's what's great about it. It's what was great about the original trilogy itself is that, you know, we think about Han and Leia as this romantic couple who were always with each other. But if you watch the first movie, it is very clear that it was getting set up for Luke and Leia. And then they end up being brother sister somehow. Like, and then we just all accept that and move on because that's the better story. So that's kind of what always wins in Star Wars is what continues the story and what we enjoy better. Um, so I think... I think if you consume enough of this side canon, which I suggest you do, it's a free, it's a lot of it's really good. Um, but I think, you know, two, three years from now, we'll be looking at this movie making a lot more sense than it, than it does now. I think so too. And I think that actually goes for this entire trilogy as a whole. Um, kind of famously now, it's been said quite a lot that, at the time of the release at Empire Strikes Back, when that first when that film first came out, audiences were shocked. They didn't like the movie. They did not understand that a Darth Vader could be Luke's father. They thought that was complete nonsense. Um, so a very similar thing I think is what's happening with the Last Jedi. But I think that's what's going to happen with this film, this this trilogy overall is that we're going to look back on it and think, oh, you know. Actually, it was pretty good. There was a lot there to enjoy. Film opinion changed over time. Star Wars is fortunate and unfortunate because it is very emotionally charged. A lot of us have grown up watching this. Star Wars gains new fans every day, sure. But I think the majority of its fan base are people who have grown up, like you, like me, watching these movies every single year as far back as I remember. I've seen these movies as a small child, I've seen these movies as a teenager, and now I have as a man almost, uh, you know, so quickly approaching his 30s. Um, I think it's something that sticks with people for generations. I know that in 10 years from now, we're going to be seeing an entire new generation of Star Wars films, and we're probably going to be having very similar conversations about, oh, man, episode 245, man. They really went down a hill after they brought back Palpatine again for the 13th time. <laughs> Yeah, composite cyborg ray. That was a weird choice. But that's what's cool is that it keeps going. No, you're 100% right. I will let you take us home with one final thought on the future of Star Wars. It was uh, announced that Taika Waititi is getting a Star Wars movie in the near future. And I just want to say that if you and I are sitting here talking about the Taika Waititi movie, the way we're talking about the Ryan Johnson and J.J. Abrams movie, it will be the most depressing moment of my 30 years on this earth. Yeah, I think that, I think that it's going to be okay. Um, I think that Disney, Disney's learned a lot of lessons recently, is what I'm about to say, but Disney learned their lesson from the force of Wakens, And then we got the last Jedi and they learned their lesson from that. And we got solo and they learned their lesson from that. And now we got, the rise of Skywalker, but I think this has been like a learning process for Disney. And I think finally now, I think we're going to get some good stuff. And the reason I believe that is that overall, most of the stuff Disney has put out since taking over Star Wars has been good. 
really good. Notably, things like The Mandalorian is amazing. It's one of the best things Star Wars has done in a very long time. Clone Wars Season 7, what a good way to get people who already love these characters back invested in Star Wars if they were burned after one of these movies. That's kind of how I felt watching Clone Wars Season 7 was, wow, Star Wars can still be as great as I remember. You know, there's all this other good stuff, and I don't think they're going to start, they're going to stop making any good stuff. So regardless, I'm excited to see where it's going from here. And I think if anything, that's where this sequel trilogy should leave you is excited to see what we're going to do next, because what else is great is that now we're not barred to these characters. You know, they wanted to make us a, a trilogy of trilogies about the Skywalkers. Well, now they have. That's done. We're done with that. Everyone's been wanting new stuff for forever. Well, you know what? Taika Waititi, he's going to come in. He's going to make something new. New characters, a new setting, maybe a new period of time, maybe a new understanding of this force. What I would like to see is kind of what Sean Glenn did with Guardians of the Galaxy, how we got like a completely different look at the MCU from the other side of the universe. I want to see that with Star Wars. I want to see new fresh faces. I want to see just new novel ideas implemented in this already really, really cool universe. No, I 100% agree. Um, Kathleen Kennedy, if you are listening to this very niche podcast, I do want to tell you, just clear the lane, let Taika Waititi Drive to the rim. That's a basketball reference, Christian. But let him drive to the rim. <laughs> let him do his thing. The man resurrected the Thor franchise. So you, you, he can do this. Just let him do his thing. Also, I want more Babu Frick. Absolutely. We need more Babu Frick. That is the main takeaway that I hope everyone takes from this is that justice, last week we had hashtag justice for Han. No, hashtag justice yep. for Babu. Get that man back Justice for Babu. If this time next year we don't have a Babu Frick Nissi Plus series in production, we will riot. We will be WWE fans after John Cena wins another championship. We will riot. <laughs> you know, something I really like that's a through line so far in these two episodes are all the wwe and wrestling references that have come up <laughs> I, I i'm really happy guys if it. you can't tell i do like pro wrestling it will come up from time to time please bring it up the fans need to know about this i think pro wrestling is brilliant i sent you a half hour breakdown of one wwe character earlier today so i, I think that are. the our our appreciation of the wwe just emphasizes what we truly enjoy about media in that you know it's ridiculous and it's mediocre, but I love it. So it is what it is. I'm going to enjoy it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's not brilliant. It's not the most well-written thing ever, but it's fun. It's long-form storytelling. It's characters changing. It's characters growing. It's doing novel things with what is a pretty simple medium. Wrestling is a show about literally people fighting, and they built – the biggest expanded universe ever. You think Marvel has a roster of characters in its catalog that's been on in film? No. WWE has, what, 25 years on top of anything Marvel has done of just hundreds of characters. You'll see this, Connor, and probably you already know. But famously, there was a, there was a wrestler who was called the Yeti. You would think that this guy was, you know, a Yeti. No, he was a mummy. <laughs> What? 
<laughs> I don't know. All right, I think I think we need to end every podcast with a question for both of us to answer very quickly and the listeners. And I'm gonna create a through line here. Who do you think would win in a fight, Darth Vader or the Undertaker? Oh my God. Um. Well, you know, for the for the sake of this, I will go with the Undertaker. The man just can't be put down. He he gets back up. You know, every time he does his classic get up, and that's it. He'll keep You're right. fighting for the sake for the sake right. of time. I'm going to keep it brief. Um, I do think it'd be Darth Vader. But I do think specifically we are talking about end of Rogue One Darth Vader, like peak of power, just throwing people around with one arm, slicing through entire armies, Darth Vader. Yeah, it doesn't matter if you're an undead wizard. It's it's hard to fight a dude who can just manipulate all matter. Exactly. You. But I think this is a good stopping point. So. Yes, sir.